In today's episode, we discuss one of the most elusive mysteries of martial arts. You may not see it, you may not even believe in it, but it's there, and it may, in fact, be within you. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host, Sri Pendikatla, and with me is co-host Shihan Russ St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt in Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. How are you today, Shihan? Doing great, Sri. How are you? I'm doing great myself, Shihan. Thank you. And for today's topic, I'm actually going to let you introduce the topic and define it because I know I'm probably going to butcher it. <laughs> um, okay, so we're, today we're going to be talking about Mushin. Uh, it's a Japanese term um, that we'll talk about a little bit. It's uh, sort of a state of mind or state of no mind, uh, as the case may be, that uh, warriors um, throughout the centuries in Japan and, and other places have used as a technique to help them overcome fear and emotions and pre-decisions and distractions and, and other things when they're in uh, a combat uh, type of environment. Um, of course, it's not restricted to martial artists or to combatants. Uh, motion is something that can be experienced doing lots of different activities uh, or doing no activities at all. So we'll we'll talk through that. But I'm a little bit interested in uh, why that there was interest uh, in this subject to start with. So did you have uh, somebody that uh, you were in a conversation with that that brought this up? Yes, actually. Yeah, I was uh, training with Sensei Chris one morning. I think it came up um, as a result of something we were doing in rolling or newaza, and and he mentioned Mushin to me, and, and I had no idea what he was talking about. And he said, "Well, why don't you ask Shihan?" And I thought to myself, "Okay." Well, he he kind of explained it a little bit, but the concept seemed really foreign to me. The word I've never heard before, and I figured, "Hey, why not make it into a podcast?" Oh, great. Well, let's sort of start at the beginning, as we do with most things. I mean, there's a Japanese term. It's uh, mushin no shin. Um, it basically means the mind without mind uh, or the mind of no mind. Uh, most people just say mushin. It, it means basically the same thing. Everybody understands what that means. And it, it basically means that your mind is not fixed on any one thing. It's it's not uh, thinking of thoughts. It's not feeling emotions. Um, it doesn't have any fear or ego. Um, you're not feeling angry. You're not feeling pensive. Um, you're not feeling anything or thinking anything. And what that allows to happen is it allows your unconscious mind to make its own choices and to move at the flow and the speed it needs to, uh, in, in that moment. Um, it's almost like, I guess, in an animal, you would say in an instinct, you know, if you surprise a cat, it's going to jump, right? It could be laying on your bed and you move your foot. It goes straight up in the air and it runs away. Well, there was, there was no thought about that. It, it just, it's no mind. It's just the, the reaction of the unconscious mind. This also can come through repetition. A great example of that would be uh, when you're learning to drive a car and you're first getting a feel for how the brakes work. There's a difference between slowly putting on the brakes and the car slows down, giving it a short shot 
so that the car sort of stops really, really quickly and briefly, jamming the brakes to the ground so that the car, you know, wheels lock up and it skids. And, and then sort of over time, as you're, you know, learning to drive, you understand the feeling of, of where you have to be when you use the brake. You understand the motion between the gas pedal and the brake. It just starts to become very very unconscious. And then one day you're driving down the road and a kid runs out in front of the car chasing his ball and your foot just instantaneously moves to the brake and stops the car. If you were not in a state of motion for that specific activity, your brain would have been going, I totally should stop the car. So I'm going to take my foot off the gas right now, move it over to this pedal and I'm going to press down and it's going to stop the car. Well, of course, by the time you have that thought, it's just like thudud, thudud and you ran the kid over. So you can't react fast enough with thought. And I think over time, warriors, they started to understand that, especially the swordsmen. I mean, this is really where it, it came from in Japan. Just not looking at the opponent and assessing them, not looking at the opponent and thinking they were skilled or strong, not having fear of winning or losing, you know, not having thoughts about what happens if I die or even thinking of that. And if you can sort of remove all that from your mind, then your unconscious mind that has all of that training in it and the millions and millions of sword strokes that you've done and, and your practice that just comes out instantaneously and you can move unconsciously and extremely quickly and extremely correctly. So of course, warriors are always looking to find that edge and that, that mind of no mind is uh, one of the things that they seek out and, and seek to perfect. I don't think I still get it, so I'm going to ask a few more uh, dense questions to sure, see if I can sure. get some better understanding about And I can this. also give some Western explanations too, but I, I'm interested in your questions. Is it only an Eastern or Oriental type of mentality, or do we have an equivalent in the West Yes, it's not it's not just uh, from the east. Of course, the the people of Japan, of course, like to categorize and name everything, and multiple levels of categories. This simple uh, saying, uh, you know, I, I didn't even think about it, which <laughs> which we say all the time. You know, they had to find a name for it, and um, and that's what Mushin translates basically into um, is just no mind. And so this is where we learned about it from a a descriptive category of a state of mind. But I think that state of mind can occur anywhere there's a mind. It doesn't have to be in the East. Uh, it certainly can be in Western cultures too. Um, one great example of that is if uh, you know, you're know you in the military and they're teaching you how to charge into battle. Maybe you're coming up out of a trench or you're doing a bayonet charge or taking a hill all together and if you've watched any you know army movie or if you've been in the military um what is what does typically everybody do when they're jumping up out of that trench or charging up that hill uh, they go ah or something like that. yeah they're all <laughs> screaming <laughs> right they're all screaming at the top of their lungs and this is something that if you haven't been told most people assume is you know, they sound ferocious and therefore they um, scare the enemy, right? But, you know, if the enemy's sitting across the field with, a, you know, a machine gun, they're really not all that afraid of you running across the field at them. So your screaming is not doing anything for them. What it is doing is it's doing something for you. 
And when you scream, the way you have to contract your diaphragm and expel air from your lungs really impacts the sympathetic nervous system and essentially shuts down your conscious mind, your emotional mind, and allows your subconscious mind to move forward without fear. Two things, you know, the military had discovered over time is, number one, you move forward without fear. That That's really important. And the second thing is you tend to do almost superhuman type things. You make very quick decisions in that heat of combat because you're operating with your unconscious mind or your mind of, of no mind. So that's a great example from the Western um, side of, of things. So it does not have to be just an Eastern philosophy. So can I make the leap here and say, because war is a very interesting topic and maybe people are there because they love war and they love to kill people or maybe people are there because they're there and they have to do things that they may not necessarily find natural or or compelling is it a way to quell their own fears absolutely absolutely and i would say 80 percent of the people who have ever gone into combat were not people that wanted to go into combat right they're usually drafted or conscripted by their country or they um, have volunteered for the benefits involved and then just were like, oh, man, I have to go into combat. So, you know, they're not they don't have bloodlust. They don't they're not loving to go out there and kill people. But at the same time, there you are. You're on the battlefield. Got to move forward. Um, you know, doing that yelling and screaming is one of the ways to quell that fear, to remove the emotion and to move forward. And it's not just humans. Right. Everybody does this. Every living creature does this. You know, what happens when you scare a cat? It hisses at you. What happens when you scare a dog? It barks at you. It's this expelling of air, tightening of the diaphragm, releasing of the unconscious mind or slash instinct is what we call it in animals, and the ability to react um, extremely, extremely fast. So that's, again, why um, it's, it's important to warriors because they need to have that, uh, need to have that edge. Even even for warriors and for an, maybe animals are, you know, they they have instincts. But is it is it instinctual or like you were describing earlier with uh, learning how to drive and using the brake pedal, is it learned and does it take time to get to that state? It absolutely does, and here's the reason why. It's not easy to reach that state, and if you reach that state of no mind and you have nothing in your subconscious that's important for that moment, right? If you've never trained in the warrior arts, you don't know jujitsu or any other kind of martial art or how to use a firearm or whatever. When somebody attacks you, your ability to obtain motion is completely useless to you because there's nothing that can be released from your subconscious to be useful at that moment. Uh, human beings have very few instincts left in them. I think it's been partially bred out and, and partially socialized uh, out of our existence, um, whereas animals still seem to have unconscious survival uh, reactions. Humans sort of have to learn that. We have to know what to do in that situation, which is, of course, why we train. But any martial artist can certainly tell you that um, they've had brain freeze or 
they know they're supposed to do a technique, but they can't remember what it was, or they just had a bad day rolling. It's like, I, I couldn't pull a technique out of anywhere. I mean, this guy was on me. I was thinking about the five different things that I could do to get out of there. And I just, I just couldn't pull it together. Right. So we've all had that, that lockup, that, that freeze that happens when our conscious mind tries to solve a problem with data and information. Uh, it can be done, but it takes time. And usually in a self-defense situation, we don't have time. So that's why the unconscious mind has to be released. So with time, you can, through meditation techniques, through practicing ki uh, as a martial artist, um, through intense training, you can begin to move yourself towards a, a state of mind that has no emotion attached to it, no, no fear, no you know preconceived notions, and no plan, and just let the body uh, react. So for martial arts, is it the ultimate goal to get to this point? I feel that it is. It's not something that can be achieved all the time or even often. But there are moments that we all experience as a martial artist um, where we have that uh, moment where we execute something and then we have the moment after that where we're back to conscious thought and we're like, wow, I don't even know what I just did there. Or, man, that really flowed. I don't, I don't know how that flowed. Or I just got through that kata of 20 different moves and I, I never thought about anything. I, I didn't think about doing the kata. I didn't think about what I was going to do after class. I was sort of in a state of uh, no-mindedness. And this can happen uh, with competitive martial artists. Like you can talk to any judoka who typically will tell you that their most, you know, best executed techniques that they've done in competition, they had no plan to do whatsoever. They, they did not set it up. They did not have a strategy. The moment happened, the flow happened. They didn't think about it and their body just made the throw perfect. The other person couldn't resist it. We've all had those moments. Uh, there, you know, there's been times I'm sure everybody's experienced doing Nawaza or rolling where, for two, three minutes, they were moving. That's all they were doing. They were just, they were moving. There was no plan. They didn't have to set up a strategy. They just moved with the other person's body, were open to all opportunities, and let their unconscious mind uh, cause the actions and reactions. Uh, and I think we've all experienced that, even if it's in just small little bits, you know, 10, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Uh, an arm bar you pulled out and you were just like, I don't even know how I got there, but there it was. Uh, we've all experienced that. So the goal is how do we figure a way to extend that through, you know, our martial art training and through our meditation so that um, it can sort of be a state of mind we can make happen as opposed to it happening naturally. I, that's what you want, right? You want it as a, as a tool in your arsenal to be able to shut off the conscious mind so that you can release the unconscious mind in a self-defense situation. Well, you sold me, Shihan. I'll bite. How do we do that? <laughs> well, so a, a good way of doing it is, is meditation. It's a good way at least to feel it and understand it and also to understand the difficulty of it and also what the opposite of it is. You know, when you understand something deeply, uh, you can begin to use it. And so if, you know, if, if anybody was to sit in a quiet place, um, close your eyes, relax, no distractions, know where you need to be, 
Um, just get a good 10 minutes to yourself and you're really just going to sit back in a chair or sit comfortably on the floor or even lay down and go through the exercise of emptying your mind. It is very, very difficult. It's, it's hard. You'll be saying, okay, I'm good. All right. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to breathe and I'm not going to think of anything. And then just for a second, you remembered an email from work. No, no, no. I'm not going to think about that. Okay. My, my, my mind is empty. Has this been two minutes, three minutes? Oh, no, I'm not supposed to think about that. Okay, I'm supposed to have an empty mind. And these little pictures and these little words and things just keep popping into your mind here and there. There's, there's little silent spots in between, but it's very, very difficult to silence the mind. It's always looking for some kind of input. And when there isn't any input, it starts to create its own input. So over time, you can get good. You can really take time and shut off the mind and eliminate conscious thought for periods of time. And as you get better and better at that, then you can do it in motion, right? You can begin to try to incorporate that, you know, no mindedness into things like martial arts or, or other activities that, that you do. I mean, runners reach that state. Swimmers absolutely reach that state. Um, there's people that do art, uh, that reach that state. Um, archers, have, have moments of, of motion. Um, it can, it can be done with training and, and with effort, but you have to realize the mind is a very, very active place. And one of the ways to help also quiet the mind during the meditation, and this takes a little while too, is to not have any feeling either way about the fact that unwanted thoughts, I shouldn't even say unwanted, that thoughts come into the mind when you're trying to silence the mind. So when you're going through the exercise of, of trying to develop Mushin and these thoughts come in, you don't want them there because you're trying to get to Mushin, but that means there's an emotional attachment. You find that those thoughts are a negative thing to what you're trying to do now. So being able to even let go of that, being able to say a picture just flashed by, but it's not, it's not meaningful to me. It's not, uh, something I care that happened or or didn't happen. Um, I don't need to attach myself to it in any way. And so with time, the mind realizes that a quiet state is an active state. It's not inactive, it, it's active, um, but it doesn't need to have noise in there. So that's, that's one way to begin to develop um, motion. Uh, the other way is to do things just like we're doing in jiu-jitsu, uh, doing randori, doing newaza, doing repetitive, repetitive, repetitive techniques over and over and over and over again, and becoming aware of the small uh, segments of time during those activities where you didn't actually think about anything. And then when you're consciously thinking, say, you know, what did that feel like? How did I recognize that that even happened? And so again, as you begin to recognize it, you can begin to control it. Um, and over time, um, you can get to the point where you can get to a state of motion for 30 seconds to a minute, maybe certainly way more time than you need to defend yourself. I've glimpsed it. I believe Xi'an in some instances where I've pulled off techniques during Randori or Nuaza and I have no idea how I did. And everybody else is around me is astonished. And I've seen other people do that too. Can that happen even for people just starting out as white belts? I think so. It, it is a natural occurrence. It's a natural state of mind. Uh, it can happen spontaneously. It can happen on on its own accord. Typically, it happens in an uncontrolled manner. 
it can happen when you expect it or when you don't expect it. And of course, what we're trying to get to is the point where we can control that and have it happen when we need it to happen. Uh, but it certainly, it certainly can happen. I would say anybody that's got any kind of hobby or interest has definitely experienced it. If you like to write computer code or develop websites, or um, if you enjoy planting a garden, if you enjoy, you know, swimming or running or riding a bike, you know, during all of those activities, there are moments where you're you're lost in the moment. Um, you're not thinking about anything. You're simply acting in a, a Zen way. Your mind and your action are not two separate things. And it doesn't involve thinking about what you're doing in order to do it. Your, your mind and your body just work together and execute things. That's, that's Zen. It's that moment when you're in perfect harmony, Aiki, and your body is reacting or acting with its unconscious mind. Everybody has experienced that in one way or the other. But when we're talking about martial artists, and we're not talking about martial artists now in practice, where it's great if that happens, or I'm looking forward to that happening. When we're talking about real self-defense, when we're facing an enemy, when we're facing somebody that's going to cause us harm, being able to create that state of mind very instantaneously so that your unconscious mind can move quick enough to defend yourself is what we're talking about, right? It's, it's getting to that point of controlling Mushin. So that takes a little bit of work. You mean like turning it on? Correct. Or off, as the case may be, but yes. Uh -huh. um, it's going from a very conscious state, I see my opponent, man, I can't believe this is about to happen, to nothing. It doesn't matter if you believe it happens, not happens. I don't have anything specific I'm going to do to this person. I don't have any idea what they're going to do. I'm not worried anybody around me. I'm not thinking about what the outcome of this might be. I just stand there with empty-mindedness. And if something happens, my unconscious reacts. If nothing happens, I bring myself back to a state of consciousness, of conscious thought. Um, and that that's sort of the epitome of what a martial artist is, is looking for. Um, you know, one of the people that was really well known for using or, or talking about Mushin um, was a, a Zen master. He was really well known, Takwan Soho, um, for people that, you know, study um, Zen uh, Zen meditation and, and Zen Buddhism. And he sort of described it as two swordsmen facing each other, right? You don't really see that person as an opponent. You're not thinking about the other person. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about the other person's movement. You're not thinking about all the training that you have. You're just standing there with the sword in front of you, completely empty minded and allowing your body to react to whatever happens next. It's not another person striking you with a sword. You have to empty your mind of that because that has connotations. It's about there will be movement and your unconscious mind will react to that movement with all the training that it's had over many, many years. And it, and it does so without emotion and without restriction in any way. And therefore it will always be flawless and it'll always be correct. And it'll always be fast. That's sort of the description that the, the Zen master gave to that, that state of uh, no-mindedness. Jihan, would you mind sharing your experiences and your journey? I'm not, probably not taking a big leap here to 
assume that you've uh, you can control this yourself. Like anybody else, um, I'm I'm able to control it simply based on my amount of time practicing jujitsu, self-defense in very realistic situations, having been in the military and having tried really hard to be able to control this. But I will say, like everybody else, it's once in a while that you can pull it off. There are probably people who spend a good amount of their time you know, meditating and working towards this that can control it a lot better uh, than I can. And I've had definitely had those moments. I mean, I've definitely, you know, had self-defense in class and self-defense in real life where you simply are either standing right in front of that person when things just start to happen um, or you've been attacked uh, completely un- unknowing to yourself that that was going to happen. And then you have to just simply create that state of mind, even in the middle of that attack. It's definitely happened, but it's not it's not easy. As an outside observer, I can say I've I've seen it a good number of times. Um, a great example would be uh, a, a person uh, who was really instrumental in helping myself think through and put together how we teach Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu and what versions of what techniques we use and what order they go in and um, how we describe them to students and train students, uh, a gentleman named Joe Carvalco. He started in other Asian arts before moving on to a Japanese Jiu-Jitsu. And some of the arts that he studied were called internal arts. So there's an external piece to them, right? There's movements, there's strikes, there's kicks and throws and those sort of things. But that's not the main goal. The main goal is um, controlling your mind internally, a spiritual uh, sort of journey. Very hard to describe, but that's where their focuses are. A lot of Kung Fu's, uh, old, old styles focus in on that. There's martial arts that really incorporate Zen or other types of mental exercises. And he was very much like that with his natural personality anyway. So, you know, combine the training that he had with a built-in innate personality that could have mind of no mind and flow. Um, it was awesome to see him do Nawaza and to feel him do Nawaza because he would do it with his eyes closed most of the time, not on purpose, right? He wasn't like, I'm going to do Nawaza with my eyes closed. He would start with them open, but then things would just happen and he'd be rolling and his eyes would close and he'd feel his way through things. And, um, I'm not saying that he would always win, uh, if that's what we want to say. He would, you know, that he would always be the one that, you know, taps somebody out because that's really not the case. But it was how he, it's how he did it. He did it by letting his unconscious mind express itself in in whatever ways. And sometimes it felt like you were trying to hold like like a water balloon that was only half filled with water. Right. You couldn't really get your hands around it. You'd squeeze one in. The water would go to the other side. You tried to grab it there. It was slipping through your fingers like you couldn't really grab onto him in any way or stop his motion um, or any of those things. It was just it was just constant flow and uh, it was very difficult and disconcerting sometimes to to have to deal with that. And, you know, I know Sensei Tony um, and Sensei Todd could certainly tell you about that. Uh, the people that have had a, had the opportunity to, you know, to roll with him. Um, I would, cons- you know, I would describe myself as a little more of a technical type of person, right? I'm, I'm very interested in each piece and part and component of the technique because I, I understand that if they're all done correctly, you can't resist the technique. 
And also, if you understand the technicality of a technique, you can take someone else's technique apart pretty easily. And I often approach it that way. But I do have moments where um, I have an unconscious mind uh, bringing me through Randori or Nawaza or even just, you know, practicing our, our self-defense, you know, techniques, our unrehearsed self-defense techniques. So is there a tailored plan or is it different for each person to be able to achieve it? It's definitely different for each person. I, I would say, you know, of course, all knowledge comes from reading something or being told something. So I always, you know, want a martial artist to become as most well-rounded as they possibly can. It's not just about technique. It's about knowledge. It's about history. It's about understanding. And and sure, reading about Mushin and Zen Buddhism and other Asian or Oriental sort of philosophies that come from, you know, from India or Southeast Asia or China or Japan are, are very helpful, but also studying the philosophy of Western, you know, warriors from Europe and from Africa and from the Americas also helps give you uh, a broad, uh, deep knowledge of what you're spending so many hours in your life uh, doing. On the other side of that equation, though, is you can know everything about self-defense or about Mushin or Zanshin or Fidoshin or all the other things that you can know about. And it certainly doesn't mean you can defend yourself. That only comes from super hard work, right? You have to physically and mentally go through years and years of training under a competent or a set of competent instructors, blood, sweat, and tears, losing more than winning, being in very uncomfortable and dangerous situations, um, and then even outside of the dojo, challenging yourself to things that are above and beyond your your comfort level. That, that's the only way to prepare you for real self-defense, not, not just knowing about it, but actually being able to do it. So that combination is incredibly important uh, because I feel like one is lacking without the other. The body operates most efficiently when the mind operates most efficiently and in the case of what we're talking about now, the mind operating efficiently is shutting itself off as a conscious effort. So I really feel there needs to be a, a very tight link between your mind and your body. If one is weak, um, the other one will suffer from that uh, that weakness. I have a couple of uh, aha moments here in this. One is that you know I've been doing this for about seven years, and I feel like I've... Uh, <laughs> just starting to understand what I'm doing here. And the second is that even if I tried really hard, I, I would be able to control this at all times. Is just when I really, really need it. Is that a good way of thinking about it or am I still off? No, absolutely. Um, you definitely can't do it at all times. There's no question about it. The first thing to do is to recognize it and recognize how it happens naturally. Uh, the second thing is to learn a little bit about it and do a little bit of practice on on emptying your mind and quieting your mind. The third thing is practice, practice, practice for jujitsu a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, or self-defense or whatever martial art you're in, so that it can become useful when you need it. Understand that it's not a goal. It's it's a it's it's something that you know about. Um, it's something that you would like to be able to control when you need it. But it's it's really not the goal, right? The goal, and this is the hardest part for martial artists, especially for like a jujitsu person that I know how much you've trained. You know, you actually reached your goal a while ago. But the mind, man, 
as soon as you reach the actual goal, your mind just creates a new goal. And it's not always a positive experience. You know, your mind doesn't say, well, you've reached here now. Here's the next, you know, the next pinnacle that you need to go to. What the mind typically does is you actually reach your goal and then your mind tells you, yeah, but not, maybe not really, you know, maybe you're a faker. I mean, you're not really that good. You know, we haven't really achieved what you thought you were going to achieve. What, what you need to achieve is over here. So then you work really, really hard and you achieve that goal too. But the second you do your mind's like, well, kind of, but it's not really it. it actually the goal is over here and it's this constant lifelong uh, dissatisfaction of the mind that keeps us all sort of moving forward. I am a hundred percent convinced you can defend yourself, which was the goal. When you first started jujitsu, you did so because you did other martial arts and you were like, Oh my God, I really probably can't defend myself. Well, a couple of years ago, you ab you absolutely could have, but you're still here and you're still moving forward and you still have questions and you still doubt. And that's just the mind. That's, that's the trip the mind likes to take everybody on. So again, it's just about learning. It's about awareness. It's about enjoying the ride. That's the biggest piece of this. I mean, it's just love coming to the dojo and working out. Yeah, you win, you lose, you're whatever. But that's you know, it's where your friends are. You like your instructor. You like your atmosphere. It adds something to your life. You get physical fitness. You can defend yourself. You can protect your family. I mean, those are all just like great things. Why, why wouldn't you want to do them if you're the type of person that likes to do those things? So I think be very careful of thinking of Mushin as a goal. It's another tool in the toolbox. The opposite of motion is Anshin. It's literally exactly the opposite. It's meaning that your mind sticks on something, is really stuck on something, but that's not a negative thing. It's just another tool. Um, Zanshin should be practiced at the end of a technique. When I throw somebody to the ground, I don't like throw them down and then go, mm, I love hamburgers. I wonder what I'm having for dinner, right? That's <laughs> that, There's no control of the mind. When you throw the person down, there's a focus. There's a, a moment there where you just where you look at what what you just did, and you realize you just threw that person down, and you're waiting for them to make like the slightest move, because you're going to take them out if they do, right? That moment is anjin. It's the exact opposite of motion, but it's not a goal either. It's just another state of mind that is a is a useful tool. Learning about these things, not thinking one is better than the other understanding that they're all just tools in your toolbox that hopefully can be used when you need them is, is really where, how you want to approach this. Well, thank you very much, Sheehan. My pleasure. It was a great uh, question that somebody asked I me. Mean, we're getting a little bit into the, the philosophy of, of the uh, Japanese martial arts, which is, which is kind of cool to talk about. But again, you know, I want to emphasize to anybody listening to this, these are tools in a toolbox. You need many, many tools to make this all work. Not only do you need many tools, but you need to know how to use them together, maybe simultaneously, multiple tools at the same time. And there's only one place that you can get that from, and that's from practice. That's from going to the dojo, showing up, working year after year after year after year. And all of those things do, do come together. And, you know, if you go through your whole life and you practice your martial art diligently and you go through your ranks and you get your diplomas and become older and you become high ranked and you teach uh, and then you become an old man and you can't really teach that much anymore and through that entire time you never got in a fight or ever got attacked or had to protect your family from another person who wanted to hurt you I mean that's the ultimate goal 
It's not the cool goal. It's not the Western way of thinking. It's not the movie goal, but it's the real goal. I mean, self-defense is about making sure you are not going to get hurt by another person or other persons or that your family isn't going to get hurt. And if you can accomplish that through whatever method through your entire life, um, you've, you've reached the goal. That's, that's the only goal here.